Hello! Welcome back to The Backdrop. I'm your host, Matt Considine. This is our first of a two-parter and our third installment in our series focusing on the people and places that make up the golf scene and culture in the fine town hosting our members this April for New Club's Spring Meeting. That's right, the scenic city, where the Appalachian Mountains meet the River's Valley, Chattown, Nuga, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're honored today to have Chattanooga's own Doug Stein, golf course developer, founder, and president of Black Creek Club, a modern iteration of Seth Rayner and C.B. McDonald's classic template holes. They got them all, Redan, Cape, Short, Punch Bowl, all brought back to life right here in Chattanooga. Doug has been an influential participant in Tennessee golf for decades, even long before he picked up a golf club for the first time at the tender age of 26. He's as passionate as they come in the game, and his mark on his hometown has been felt as both a participant, a student of Golden Age architecture, and as the owner of Chattanooga's oldest general contractor, doing build work for projects at the Honors Course, Lookout Mountain, Sewanee, and his very own Black Creek Club. If you're joining us for the spring trip this April, Doug's conversation is a must-listen. If you aren't making the trip but love exceptional architecture that flies a little bit under the radar, you are also in luck. Enjoy our chat with Doug, and don't forget to leave us a note at New Club Golf on all social or at our website, which is newclub.golf. As always, enjoy your game. Is, uh, is Lookout dog-friendly, too? Like, what's their policy on that? Oh, they're very dog-friendly. And, uh, in fact, Lookout, for years, had a course dog that was named Squirrel Dog. And uh, he, he cleaned the course of squirrels. There were no squirrels on the property when squirrel <laughs> dog was there. But yeah, that we have, uh, I remember being out there one time, I was probably teeing off on 15 or maybe putting out on 17, but not very far from the lake that we built in 1983 for the irrigation system. And, uh, there was a member out there who was throwing decoys out into the lake and having his dog sit and then shooting his gun into the shooting his shotgun so the dog wouldn't spook at the sound of the gun so he's on the golf course training his dog with a shotgun and a bunch of decoys you know that was pretty common that was pretty common there was a longtime member there whom i loved named john stout who used to bring his dog dogs up to the eighth tee and train them down on the seventh fairway yeah there have always been dogs on lookouts very dog friendly and and there's just one way that Chattanooga is a little different than Chicago, but uh, yeah, when training your dog. So he was he was firing uh, his gun. What to not make his dog jump? He's trying to get him to get getting his dog acclimated to the sound of the gun. Ah, okay. Not running when the gun fires. Yeah, yeah, because I similar. Uh, you know, I, I uh, but related to golf is I'm trying to get uh, our our golden gypsy to. Uh, she she really just wants she's a retriever so she wants to take off after she hears the sound of that ball or sees someone make a you know swing sending a ball someplace she thinks it's playtime so I'm trying to get her accustomed to that but maybe I need to get some shotguns out yeah that's right that'll that'll teach her (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but no that's that's cool yeah golf dogs have you been over to uh, Scotland and Ireland then I have uh, I went over there in the mid '90s. It was really a, an influential trip on me. I went with uh, my current partner Gary Chazen, who's been a longtime friend and and uh, business associate, and Bob Corker, the senator before he was a senator. 
or a mayor before he was in politics. He's a longtime friend of mine. And we went with some other guys, but we played. It was mostly us as a threesome. Um, and that was very influential on me, that trip, um, because it was then that I uh, began to understand the importance of, of angles and unfairness and, you know, the whole game is Scottish uh, and it's Scottish roots, which is part of what I love about it. Um, so we played, uh, we played the old course twice. We had the first tee time. And uh, my very first swing, you get, we drove an hour and a half. We were staying in, uh, in Gullen where going number two is, and we played that. We were staying on that golf course, and we had to, an hour and a half drive to St. Andrews. And we hopped out of the car, and there they have the golf beggars laying around on the ground there, people that slept trying to get a, an abandoned tea time or something. Mm-hmm. And we, we got out just barely in time and jumped up to the first tee, and it's kind of a short hole, and in those days I hit the ball a long way. And... uh you know, I cold shanked the three iron onto the beach. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then you know, and I had a hard time adapting right off the, the bat. I think I, I four-putted the fourth or fifth hole, or maybe it was the sixth. What what green is shared with the 14th? It's the fourth. I four-putted the fourth. Um, and uh, it was pretty soon I realized the caddies had were betting on us. And my caddy was an old guy with white, wild hair named Tommy. And uh, I turned my game around, and I was playing Bob and Gary and was pretty far behind at the first few holes and, and started playing good. And I had I hit my tee shot into the gorse on the 10th hole, I'm pretty sure it was, par four. And I had about 65 yards to the hole, but my, my follow-through was going to put my hand into a gorse bush. And Tommy said, all right, lad, you can't hit this. You're going to have to take a drop. You can't hit that. You'll tear yourself up. I said, no, I think I can hit it. I have a new Mizuno 60-degree wedge. And I took a mighty blow at that thing and followed through and just totally ripped my left arm to pieces and was bleeding all over the place. But the ball ended up a foot from the hole. He went crazy. And uh, I played the backside. I made four birdies. I think I tripled the 17th the first time I saw it. But I ended up winning a lot. And he was so fired up. (laughs) He was going crazy. I had an eagle putt on 14, about 15 feet. And I'm really fired up, and I'm going to knock this thing in the hole and ah, lad, you don't need to get greedy just drag it up there you know because i'm and the greens are not all the same speed and uh i just four putted this green a couple of hours before and uh so i left it short but my you know the, my birdie was going to beat gary and bob anyway so he <laughs> wanted to he was making sure that he was going to win that pretty fun that is awesome. It is fun when when they uh, have a wager and they get into the match, 
um, makes it more interesting for them, of course. Uh, but well, he but we, uh, he we had him. I, we had the same tea time again the next day, first tea time. And, and there was a guy, the course ranger named Bob McCrum, and he had the only cart that I ever saw over there. And he was in this cart with a red flag, and he brought us breakfast sandwiches out on the golf course. These big English breakfast sandwiches with like ham and egg and cheese on it, big things. And Bob watched us play. He hung around with us. I think because Gary was with us. Gary was pretty. Gary was a good competitive golfer, and and I played competitive golf, and and uh, Bob was watching us. But I, you know, Gary's connection somehow had had us being followed by Bob McCrum, the Pope of St Andrews. I called him, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, after after those two days, uh, Bob said you need to come back and play in the Scottish Amateur, and because uh, I played great on St Andrews after the where I could start, and uh, that was fun. I didn't go play the Scottish Open, but or Scottish Amateur, but well, it, you know, it was just a great experience. Changed changed the way I understood the game for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it has that effect on so many people. I mean, even even your story of that first tee shot is so interesting to me because you know you're a good player. You've you've been in a lot of grand places, I'm sure, and uh, played in tournaments. And uh, the the nerves that hit you walking around that place, uh, it's like I don't know what it is. I guess it's just been in in everybody's mind because it's the home of golf. Because you see so many pictures of it, because you you kind of dream about it, and then you're there and you gotta you gotta execute a golf shot. It's, well, you uh, know what was really great? My college roommate before I played golf was a guy named Jim Granger who won who won the national high school prep championship or something. He was a really good player, and he's won the Carolina Senior a few times. And he's you know he's a competitive player. Well, his grandfather was the, at that time was the oldest member of Augusta National. He was the guy that made the ruling when Roberto Di Vincenzo signed the incorrect scorecard. Wow. So when I was in college, I had a I had a linen napkin from the champions dinner at the Masters at Augusta National that uh, was signed by Bob Goldby and Roberto De Vicenzo, and I and I didn't play golf, and I had no appreciation whatsoever for why that was hanging on my wall. But uh, so so I called Jim. By that time, we had you know I we shared a love of golf and I had started playing. I started playing when I was 26 and, uh, his grandfather who'd been a member of the RNA and was the, the, uh, president of the USGA when they unified the rules in 1954 or whenever that was in the fifties, uh, had been a member of the RNA all that time. And he'd been on the waiting list for a locker all that time. And they had just granted him, his locker, Ike Granger, in the in the clubhouse at the Royal and Ancient. Wow. That's and uh, so I said, uh, my my roommate, I, he knows I'm over here. My college roommate, he'd like me to get a picture of his grandfather's locker because his grandfather's too old to go over here. Come over here now. He's 98 or something. And uh, and Bob McCrum said, Have you got a camera? And I said, yeah. He said, you can't come in, but I'll get a picture for you. <laughs> so, oh, so I got great. a picture of, of 
Ike Granger's locker in the RNA, which he never got to see in person. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So then I'd assume through, through your friend, have you been, uh, to, you played Augusta? I have, uh, but not through him. Uh, I played with, uh, Danny Yates and Gary Chazen. So Charlie Yates' son, back in those days, I called him the designated non-competing marker. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think he played as a competitor because he won the Mid-Am a couple of times, I think. And, and I think the Mid-Am champion used to get in. I'm not sure he does anymore. What, what is that first tee experience like at Augusta versus, you know, the first tee experience at uh, the old course? For me, it was not nearly as intimidating as the old course, even though the old course, you know, the first thing you think when you stand on the tee at the old course and they tell you, Ian Baker Finch hit it out of bounds left here, you think, I mean, it's it's 200 yards wide, maybe wider. I mean, you can do, you can miss it as far left as you can imagine. That was the story. He hit it out of bounds left, you know, over there where the little white fence is mm-hmm. in, that, in the corner of what must be 20 acres. <laughs> I mean, it's huge, but but the the tee shot at Augusta is similarly big, and you and when you're standing on the tee, you feel a little bit like you're standing in a field somewhere. And you know, to be honest with you, I don't know, uh, I don't even know what tees we played. But but the course has been lengthened a lot since I played it. The day I played it, I played yeah. it in the '90s. Yeah, I, I think it's just so. Uh... It's it's interesting these places that do give you those butterflies and those nerves that um, come from really just you feel like you know them and you feel like you you've seen it so many times and you've seen you know heroes and golf role models and idols they'll play them and then you're there. The most intimidating first tee shot in golf is Marion, in my opinion. Really? Why uh, why is that? I'm not familiar with the with one at Marion. I guess I can see it a little. Yeah, bit. the tee is in the dining room almost. So everybody's sitting out there eating, and you can hear the clatter of the plates and the knives and forks and everything. It's all going on. Everybody's doing that. It, 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 you know, you, it's not a long hole. It's not a difficult shot. It's kind of a dogleg right. And uh, what happens is you tee your ball up, and you're you're very close to these people that are eating out on this patio, and you can hear all the clatter, which is fine. It's just background noise. And then mm-hmm. right when you tee the ball up, right before you take your backswing, everything goes dead silent. And it's just, you go, oh, my God, they're all looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. The, heading back to the other side of the ocean, I I, uh, I think Presswick. Did you guys play Presswick? That one, to me, was uh, pretty intimidating. Yeah, we did. Uh, with the wall out of bounds right, yeah. pretty tight little thing. Uh, it narrows in at you like the wall you know most OBs on a on a opening hole especially will move the other direction this wall moves towards you <laughs> makes the fairway yeah. look like it's a, a landing it spot. looks tiny looks like a sidewall yeah yeah, yeah but the, you know there wasn't anybody there we had a I had a great day at at Presswick and we played Western Gales that day too have you ever played it Oh yeah, what? Yep, I recommend that to to most everybody who's headed over there. 
Yeah, it was that was an awesome experience. I had the best caddy I've ever had in my life and the worst caddy I've ever had in my life on the same day. So the <laughs> caddy we had at Western Gales was incredibly good. And he had caddied for European women on their on the LPGA and on the women's tour and he was just really good. Could got got us around the golf course really well. And then I had a fourteen year old kid at Prestwick who was just didn't know what he was doing and was making noise and dropping the bag. And he laid down on the ground when I was putting one time. He, he took the flag and laid down and was rubbing the fabric together. So it was going. <laughs> and I said, can you not do that? <laughs> okay. That was great. Uh, I, I, I had a, I had a caddy at, uh, North Barrick named Alistair and he had a really thick accent and he was the postman and he was he was a lot of fun that's great I, I'll tell you I don't know if this happens to you when I've made my trips over there and uh, at least in my adult life where we're taking caddies for you know most all rounds um, for the first 15 minutes of our post round recap it's it's pretty much just talking about our caddies and the the goofy stuff that happened out there, the funny things they said, or, you know, when we screw up a shot, what they, what their comeback response was, uh, they're just characters over there. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the Tommy, the guy I had at St. Andrews had him two days in a row. And the first day, you know, I told you the story, I kind of turned around and around and I drove the 12th green. And the second day I'm, I'm playing good again. And we've just played the Eden hole, the 11th high hole in. And uh, uh, we come to the 12th, and the wind's different. And I'm, I said, I don't think, I'm not going to hit driver today. I'm going to hit this. No, laddie, you need to hit your driver. You drove the green yesterday. <laughs> he goes, and he convinces me to hit my driver. And almost every time that somebody talks me into hitting the club I don't want to hit, I hit it bad. So I, I I I just blocked this over into this gorse, and he felt so bad that he went in there after the ball. I mean, he was in this. He was on his hands and knees. He was in there like a dog hunting that ball, getting getting the ball. And he found it, but it was completely unplayable. And wow. and, and I, you know, I told Gary, I said, "Why is he working so hard to get that ball? It's just it's in there. It's lost. I'll drop one." And Gary thinks. Gary says something about he remembers that shot you hit yesterday, and he's he's betting on you. He you know he can't afford to. He gave you bad advice, and it ended up in a bad shot. And he's gonna fix it. You know it was it was interesting. He I, he wanted me to win so bad it was incredible. <laughs> wow. We we uh, uh one of my favorites from Presswick was our caddies. Um, I had a really good caddy. Real strong guy, probably around my age, and this is this is just a few years back. But uh, you know, I, I just all the information he had about the course, I was just uh, blown away at you know how yeah. much detail and nuance he had about you know it's a quirky setup, so you got a lot of blind shots, and he was just spot on with all these all these things. And I was uh, I just made a comment of like, uh, Billy, man, you you sure know this place inside and out, you know. Uh, why is that? He's like, well, I should. I, I was conceived on this golf course. And 
And I just start, I just kind of stood back and go, no kidding. How do you know that? And then he, he looks at me and looks at the other caddy standing next to me. He goes, well, the culprit's standing right there. Why don't you ask him? But it was his dad standing right next to me. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, just characters, you know, characters. That's why um, I guess here stateside, and, and I want to get to Chattanooga and talk more about, you know, over here, but I, your stories are too good. Um, but stateside with caddies, it's interesting because, you know, up here we really support uh, the, the high school loopers and caddy programs. Um, we don't have as many career caddies like like they do over there. But I think the, the other different thing is those caddies are typically members of the club anyways. They're just completing their round or at, on an off day, at least a lot of places like Western Gales. I know that was our experience. But what, what's your yeah. preference on in the States when you have, you know, and I know down south, I don't know how caddy programs actually, how prevalent they really are. But, you know, your your career caddies versus your high school caddies, what, what's kind of your preference? Oh, career caddies, no question. But I've, I've been very, very fortunate in my golf career because uh, the honors course was really my introduction to golf. And that's why I started playing late. So Jack Lupton called my grandfather. I still have the the notes taken by my grandfather, you know, and say that Jack Lupton called, he's going to build a golf course in Newell to He wants you to meet a Mr. Pete Dye at the old TNT plant, the Atlas powder plant, which is where that's built. And, you know, Lupton uh, insisted on everything being first rate. And at that time, caddy programs were around. Lookout Mountain had caddies who were just, guys who lived on you know further south on the mountain and but it at the honors course he set up a caddy program so i got to know um caddies the the current caddy master out there carrot caddy for me in the 1987 or 9 state amateur david um god almighty his name's gave me right now and if he walked up to me right now I'd have to know him but uh, David uh, I'm going to say David Collins but that's not right anyway so I knew Darren and Larry and David and they had caddies that's what they did for a living a bunch of them so at the honors course you got you had to have a caddy even if you were in a cart you had a caddy so I grew up you know learning the game was an experience to be walked and uh, a caddy was a proper companion. But there, the other courses in town, you know, ended up not having caddy programs. So you probably about 1983 or four is when caddy programs at Lookout and Chattanooga Golf and Country Club died. Um, but the honors course has, to this day, a very strong caddy program. Yeah. And those guys, some of those guys will, you know, when the honors closes in the winter, they'll go down to the medalist or other clubs down in Florida and they'll caddy down there, Seminole, probably. Um, they're lifers. Right, right. And it, f- it feels fitting, you know, for courses like that um, to, to have those that dedication to, you know, career caddy programs. And then what I think would be cool is if, if more of those mid clubs really embrace the, uh, you know, the high school caddy. Uh, get more people walking, get more people out there, but also, you know, give some kids some, some cash to go, to go spend or put it towards a college fund or something. I, I think that would I be agree. balance. Yeah. Well, the, uh, so, so into Chattanooga, uh, you know, I, I knew very little about 
the uh, the golf scene there for uh, many many years until this past year when uh, some friends caught my ear about you know putting together a little spring trip for our our golf society and that's how you and I connected. Uh, but your name was brought up. Jack Lupton building the honors course probably had a greater effect on Chattanooga golf than anything else. Um, but Chattanooga had a deep uh, golf legacy. So Lou Emig was here and Betty Probasco was here and they were both members at Lookout and at the honors. And uh, Lou Emig won state amateurs in in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, I think he's the oldest. I know he was when he won the U.S. Senior Amateur. He was 69, the third time he won it. So he was a great player. And Betty Probasco was the Curtis Cup. So uh, Lou was the Walker Cup captain, and Betty was the Curtis Cup captain. And Betty won state amateurs in as many decades as Lou did. And, um, you know, we just had a lot of good golfers here, a lot of really good golfers here. And um, Well, they, a thing, a simple yeah. thing that, you know, I, I certainly didn't know, and a lot of people might not, but, uh, I mean, the name honors course comes from honoring amateur golfers, right? That's right. That's right. And the cup, the famous cup logo is the Wanamaker trophy in silhouette. So he, you know, that's, that's one of the things about clubs like the honors that are run by dictatorship. They have a a consistency of mission um, that clubs run by rotating committees can't have, you know, those kind of clubs are set up to screw up. Um, because you you're changing your leadership all the time, but but the honors course and Augusta National, you know the great clubs understand the importance of a benevolent dictator, and uh, you know I call the the honors course mes- method of governance of papacy. Um, so they're on, um, you know they they choose a pope, and whoever the pope is is the pope for the rest of the time. And uh, that's that's the way you got, have a great club, but it, it had a it had a unifying vision and mission, and everybody that's at the honors knows why they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's an identity to the, to that, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, that was a great concept, and he, you know, Lupton understood that Pete Dye was the right architect to build that place. Um, out of out of the architects that were available in 1983, Pete was the guy that that brought back strategic design and and understood, you know, he'd gone to Scotland and he understood the Scottish game and he, I mean, I think pretty much single handedly turned us around to where we are today, where you've got people like Gil Hanson, Tom Doak, and yeah those people that are building golf courses today, I, I think most of them will tell you that they think a lot of Pete, know a lot to Pete, because he, he understood the importance of angles and uh, strategy and places to bail out and things like that. Yeah, because so this time period, 
um, you, you started playing golf when you're 26. You're, are you, you're the head of Stein construction company, which is, I believe from what I found the oldest general contractor in Chattanooga. Is that right? It was until I closed it down (laughs) (laughs) to come out to Black Creek. So yes, it was. And no, I was not in charge of Stein construction at the time. My father and my uncle were there and, um, my father, neither one of them played golf. My father had played golf, uh, when he was younger. And this is fairly typical of my father. And he played golf diligently and worked real hard on it until he shot par. And then he said, okay, I know how to do that and quit. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. He did that with a lot of things. So he would master something and then go on to the next. Tell you what, it keep, keeps things interesting, that's for sure. You never get bored doing that. Right. So, uh, so I guys- was working in the family business, and my my the, the entirety of my role at the honors course was to tell them where the lake could be placed and how much, you know, how big they could be because it's a surface area thing. So I, I did the topo studies and said these are where lakes could be built effectively in whole water. And the rest of it was just watching Pete die and PB die, who was there a lot, uh, build a golf course. And that's Pete's um, son, right? PB die is Pete's son? Yes. Yeah, one of his sons. Mm-hmm. He's got another. Perry die is a son, too. Anyway, yeah, I remember standing with PB on the, the original back tee of the 16th hole. And we were, had a lake. You hit across a lake. And I said, well, you can't hit the ball that far. I grew up playing baseball. And he said, yeah, you can. I said, that's just miles. You can't hit. There's no way. And he dropped down a ball out of the back of his club car and hit a five iron over onto the green. And, and that shot is probably 170 yards, I know now. But at the time, I was just like, oh, my God. And I had a friend, George Bright who was in the real estate business who grew up playing golf at lookout. And he, he and I were friends from birth. And uh, he told me I needed to start playing golf if they were going to build a great golf course out there. And so lookout mountain golf club had a, a rush, you know, new member rush session. And I joined for nothing. I think maybe I had to pay $500 when I turned 40 or something. And I was 25 probably when I joined in the fall. And so I started playing golf at Lookout with George Bright and uh, while we were building the honors. And I was out there, it was real dry. The economy wasn't really good. And uh, we were building lakes and moving dirt. I'll never forget my father, who knew a little bit about golf, and I knew nothing. We built the second hole. We got it all cleared. And, and Pete was building Long Cove Club at the same time. So he was there about every week. PB was there more often, but mostly, you know, they they flag the corridor, they stake out the corridor, and they flag the clearing, and we cleared it all. We didn't have anything else to do, and we did it all so fast that he wasn't ready. But we cleared <laughs> off the second hole, and it had a huge has a huge corridor. The second hole does. I mean, I don't know how wide it is. Three hundred and fifty feet, maybe more, maybe more than that. But a lot of, and it was all cleared out, and you could see the green up on this hillside, and the hole had a beautiful sweep to it. And uh, then they 
had us go out there with a Warner Swayze 311 hot tow, which is a big excavator we had back then, and set Donnie McBee, one of my best, our best operators out there, and started digging holes in it. And my dad said, they had the most beautiful golf hole you ever saw in your life, and now they're out there just wrecking it, making it look like somebody's dropped bombs on it. Well, those bunkers are all the way down the right side of number two. That's what makes the hole. Um, but that's how little we understood about uh, golf course architecture, for sure. And I, I remember the big bunker. Have you played the honor? No, not yet. Okay, so the 17th hole is a reachable par five. And to the left of it has a big, gigantic, deep bunker that's a Rainer-esque bunker. All the bunkers are Rainer-esque. And it's, you know, it's a blind greenside bunker shot down in the hole. We dug that thing, and, and we had an operator named Donnie McBee who, who, you know, we built highways and things. But this, he was a fabulous, he could do anything you asked him to do. You just tell him to do it, and he'd do it. So Pete tells him to put this slope of that bunker in there on a one and a half to one, and then leaves. And Donnie cuts it in. The next time Pete comes back, and I was with him, and I wasn't with him all the time. I was young and working on other things too. But uh, we went out there, and he he looked at it. Donnie was with him. What do you What do you think about this slope? He said, "That's perfect." Can you get him to fuck it up a little? <laughs> <laughs> so he put it on the perfect one and a half to one all the way around the thing, and he wanted to have a little bit of dips and moves in it, you know. That so it was funny. I, I, I've, uh, you hear so many people, um, that are in the business talk about Pete Dye. I mean, he was quite a, uh, a brilliant mind, but also just seemed like, um, a guy people really wanted to work for. I loved working for. Yeah, he was a great guy. He was a profane man. I guess he still is a profane man. I, I saw that Alice died last week. Yeah. She was up there some too. She, she was the one that I remember hearing that she got credit for all the forward tees, the women's tees at the honors, and that there was thought put behind them. They weren't just laid out on a shorter part of the same line. They were, you know, back in that day, we were still coming out of the runway tee era where all the tees were kind of on the straight line and all the golf holes, you know, everybody hits down the same thing. It was kind of like bowling alley golf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the question was, you know, how far can you hit it straight? And uh, the honors tees were staggered and off, and there, were, there was thought given to the, even the angles of the front tee. So they didn't just line up. They were placed in places with some thought behind it, and Alice was given the credit for that, for insisting that it be that way. Pete was a good player. I played several rounds of golf with Pete. Uh, including at Crooked Stick, which was a ton of fun. And at Wolf Run, I played around with Pete Dye and Steve Spires. And that was just a ball, absolute fun. And I played with Pete at, at the honor some, too. He was a good player, even w- well into his old age. And Alice was a good player, too, wasn't she? Real good, yeah. yeah. I didn't ever get to play with her. Didn't she always have at least one solo design on each course or one that she took credit for or was not credited for, but she probably did. But people say that TPC Sawgrass 17 was hers. Is that right? Well, that I, I've never heard that one before because I've, 
I've often heard that 17 at Sawgrass was Pete Dye's rain or short hole, and he just substituted water for the sand. Oh, oh yeah. It's Which is what it is. Yeah. That's yeah, I, I hadn't heard that about Alice before, but she certainly had input on practically every hole that was at the honors. From what I heard, I didn't see that, but I heard that. Yeah. And I, you know, when I look at it, I can say, yeah, that, you know, when, as, as you grow older and you have to move up, the holes are still interesting, you know? Right. Well, uh, so th- there's really three courses I, I obviously want to chat with you about. Honors course being one, uh, yeah. Lookout Mountain and Black Creek. Um, but before we, we move on to the others, uh, you know, I, I, what I read about the honors course of at the time, uh, what year did you say, 1983? It opened in July of 83. And it was it was considered pretty radical uh, at the time. What were some of the factors you think contributed to that? Uh, the grassing, the mix of the grasses, which has changed over time. So it was not originally zoysia. So they had, I think they, in the book, the original book, I should have looked. The members all got a book. All the charter members got a book telling you. And there was a, there were five kinds of grass out there. There was bluegrass and rye, and 419 Bermuda, and uh, I don't know what kind. Probably Pencross bent on the greens. And then, then they had the wild areas where there was broom sedge and native, a lot of native areas and a lot of uh, thought put into bird habitat, especially David Stone, the the architect out there for from the beginning till forever, uh, loved birds and and you know they the whole honors superintendent program was incredible and produced David uh, David Stone ran it but it produced Scott Wicker who's my superintendent here at Black Creek and and uh, is in my opinion the best in the business. Um, but that he turned out, you know, tons of architects and the, the notion out there at the honors that they didn't feel like they were competing with anybody else. And so David shared his expertise with the other clubs. And then, you know, he would have an assistant that he would train and then that he, those assistants would go off and be architects at other Chattanooga courses and things like that. It was just, a, it was an incredible gift to this city that Jack Lufton did. Yeah. 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 I know. I know uh, well, the first time I remember seeing or, or hearing about the honors course was uh, 96. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kid. I'm a run. I'm obsessed with golf. 12 years old and Tiger's coming on the scene. Uh, yep. He shoots 80 in that final round of the NCAA championship and he still wins the tournament by four. Yep. <laughs> so I, yep. I always so when I hear honors, even. From that time, I just think the first word that comes to mind is difficult, because if Tiger's shooting eighty, the place can't be easy. Um, what is it as hard as as I have in my mind? Well, when it opened up, it was unbelievably hard. Seventy five was a hell of a score. I, I remember that. Um, so the technology was changing during that period too. But you know, when it opened up, we were hitting wooden clubs and blade irons and a lot of balls that been all over the place. Um, 
So it was, yeah, it was difficult. Um, and it's still difficult, but it's, and one of the things they've done out there in reaction to the ball is lengthen out some of the tees. And I think, you know, some of the things that they changed, uh, I, I think are unfortunate, you know, it's almost sacrilege to say that in this community, but, but, uh, I missed the old 10th hole. I thought the 18th original 18th green was really cool. Um, it's been changed. Um, they switched to zoysia grass after the PGA at Shoal Creek uh, because, you know, the, although the honors had the best stand of 419 Bermuda and Chattanooga, there were places where there was dirt showing through, and Mr. Lupton didn't, didn't want that. So they switched to zoysia, which changed the way the course played in a lot of ways and, and made it easier mm-hmm. a little bit because um, mm-hmm. the ball sits up so good. Um, and you can spin it better off of Georgia. Um, but I, I played, I guess probably the last time I played in a, in a competitive event out there, I, I played in a U.S. amateur qualifying, and it's been quite some time, probably 20 years ago or so. I'm 62. Maybe it wasn't that long ago. But I played with a guy from Australia, and uh, we came in and, no, it, it was hard. It was long. And uh, he came in, he said, that's the first time I've ever played a course that had nine par fives on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's about what it feel, felt like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Ti- Tiger was quoted at saying that that place is uh, one of the hardest he's played or, or can play harder than um, anywhere he's been at the time when he was, you know, Freshman in college. Oh God, I've played. I've played it on days when it was incredibly tough. I, speaking of Tiger, I, Tiger hit one of the greatest shots I've ever seen in my life in that tournament. The ninth green used to be a little bit more severe than it is now, and it's kind of like a, it's got a hump that runs through the middle of the green perpendicular to the shot, and there's water in front. And if they put that pin right up on top of that hump, and you're hitting a short iron in there, and if you hit on the downslope coming back toward the water, you could suck the ball into the water. And that was everybody was having that problem. In fact, when Tiger shot 80, his his chip shot went in the water on nine, where he made a triple. But on this day, you know, he shot in the 60s the first three days, 68, 67, 69, or something like that. And uh, so he's he's driven the ball way down the fairway, and he's out there, and he's got a short iron in. And he takes this little punch swing, and the ball comes in really low. I mean, five iron low. And I'm thinking, he skulled that. Look, look, look at that shot. And it hit on the upslope and skipped up about 15 feet covered in the air in a low kind of leap to where the pin was and this just went and stuck like it hit on Velcro about a foot from the pin. I just, I went, <gasps> I couldn't believe it. I've never seen a shot that good. If somebody would even try to hit a shot like that, you know, it was just incredible. And then uh, we were watching him on 17, and uh, I'm standing there in the gallery, and I don't know everybody who's around me. And Tiger's hit his tee shot up the right side of the fairway, and he's got a he's got a shot to the green in two. And this guy says, "Can he get to the green in two from there?" And I said, "Oh yeah, he can get there." And he goes. Well, do you play here? Yeah. 
so how do you know he can get there? And I said, because that's where I hit my tee shot. He goes, you hit your ball as far as Tiger? And I said, he hit a two iron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, what a, what a time it must have been. Um, so from honors course to, you know, we'll go back in time to, to Lookout Mountain, but you know, maybe a, a transition question using uh, Pete Dye, you know, uh, clearly an innovator and, and sounds like Pete coming there started this, this really golf uh, centric movement in Chattanooga perhaps, but, um, or not started, but continued it. Uh, if you were to compare Pete Dye from your time with him to, you know, one of the golden age architects, I got, a, I got a hunch, but I wanted to see who you thought you'd compare, who would you compare him to? Rainer, Rainer. I mean, and he's, he's told me that. So I caught, you know, when we to go to the lookout thing, when I, uh, I mean, all I knew about golf course architecture basically was, was Pete Dye. And I had, was a member at lookout, which was, you know, five minutes from my house. And, uh, so I played more at Lookout than I did at the Honors, probably. And and one day, I noticed a plan of the original course on the wall, and it was shrunk down. It wasn't the full size plan. And I just started looking at it, waiting for the rest of the group to come in to tell me how much money I'd lost. And uh, uh, I noticed that the the uh, engineer for the plan was Edward E. Betts Engineering Company who I did tons of business with and, and Cliff Betts, who is the grandson of Edward Betts was still in the business and I knew him well. And so I decided to go down to Betts where they had been in business since the 1890s and, uh, and see if I could find the original plan. Uh, and I did, it was on, and, you know, Betts let me go through their stuff and it, this original plan was on linen. It was five feet wide and, three feet high and unbelievable. Uh, and I, um, of course we didn't have cell phones and things like that back then, but I went and, and did a takeoff on the plan and the bunkers on the beer hole, for example, were each 22,000 square feet. That's how they were drawn. The fairways were, were incredibly wide. Well, the lookout mountain golf club that I was playing was, pre-line had little small greens with what we called chops bunkers on the front right of all of them um, not all of them most of them and that was named after a guy named bill Bryan, uncle brew to me and he wasn't my uncle though um, and chops to most of the members and he was the he took he was in the he was the greens committee for about 40 years probably and he had heard probably from robert trent jones that crappy players missed the ball, missed their shot short right, and so he put bunkers in short right to catch that shot. And so those were the bunkers that we had, and it was not like it was on the plan. But the more I looked at it, I started telling members, I said, you know, this our golf course is is this. This is the same routing. We're playing exactly what this is, but we don't have the bunkering. It, it doesn't look anything like this, you know. But it's it's intact. We could do this, and you know. I started playing golf when I was 26, like I said, and I'm, you know, that's Gilbert Stein's son. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything about golf. He just started playing. Nobody would listen to me at all. And then one day, 
uh, King Emig, Lou Emig's son, who was a very good friend of mine and a good competitive golfer who played at the University of Virginia, um, had a friend from, from Baylor school friend in to play named Bobby Palmquist. And uh, they were in there eating, and Bobby Palmquist had told King, this looks like a Seth Rainer golf course. Who designed the golf course? And King said, I don't know. Doug Stein's been talking about who designed the golf course. Hey, Doug, wh- what's the name of this guy? And I said, Seth Rainer. You know, dang, it's been two years of me telling y'all, Seth Rainer, he's famous. He's, you know, I bought uh, Jeff Cornish's book, The Architects of Golf, with Ron Witten. They'd written the book, The Architects of Golf, and The Golf Course. I'd bought those books. They were new books back then. And, uh, you know, this guy's famous. And then and there was – we our head professional at the time was a guy named Brett Mullen who had played junior golf with Ben Crenshaw. And he had reached out to Ben Crenshaw. And Brett had told me, Ben Crenshaw's really excited that Seth Rayner is our architect. Uh, but we never, they never did come to see it or anything. I just couldn't get any traction. And then when King's friend Bobby Palmquist said Seth Rayner's famous, he did Fisher's Island, and he was a member at Fisher's Island. Um, then King jumped on the bandwagon. You know, King said, I'm in. We need to do this. Let's do this. And all of a sudden, you know, we had the, the weight that was necessary. Without King, you know, it wouldn't have happened. And from there, we... You know, we um, we started trying to convince the membership to restore the golf course, um, and we we traveled to and Gary Chazen joined us, uh, my buddy that had been on the trip to Scotland. So the, all that happened at about the same time in the mid '90s, and we went to the National Golf Links, and we went to uh, Yale, and we went to Fisher's Island. And we went to Yeamans Hall and Charleston and Mountain Lake. We traveled all over. And we started putting together a thing called the Rainer Report, trying to convince the membership. And and then we went to see Jack Lufton to see if he'd help help us get this paid for. And he, he, he gave us 30 minutes, which was a long meeting with Jack Lufton. His grandfather was the one of the guys who came up with the idea to bottle coconut. And Coca-Cola money is a lot of what Chattanooga's built on. So we went to we went to, to Jack Lufton, who by this time has sold his bottling operation. And the first thing he does after that is is build the honors course, which I get to sit with. I mean, I can tell stories about that for the rest of the afternoon if you want. But, but we go to him to talk to him about this Lookout Mountain project. And he had tried to uh, – to get Lookout to restore itself and was a little bit frustrated with the membership up there. They didn't want to do anything to improve anything. And he just told us about, you know, that's a tough crowd up there. They, they're still rubbing their nickels together. And, you know, it was during that period when I came to describe the membership at almost all Rainer clubs as the frayed khaki club, you know, they, they, they've got their, their, their pants are frayed at the bottom, but they're super well-pressed and they wear, stuff that's starched out and their golf courses are like that too the tees greens and fairways are immaculate and the rest of it they they take care of with a 22 inch murray (laughs) but uh uh so he told us you know for about 30 minutes he lectured us on how there was no way 
in hell we were ever going to convince the membership to look out to do this thing. And then, you know, and then at the end of the meeting says, but if you do, I'm in. <laughs> wow. So that was a great, that was a great shot in the arm for us to, to make things happen. And we started interviewing uh, golf course architects because we didn't know, and we were reading books. I've told you about the two Jeffrey Cornish and Ron Wooden books that I read that I thought were. Yeah. What, uh, what, are, what are the titles on those two? The Architects of Golf was one of them, mm-hmm. and the other was The Golf Course, and they're both written by Jeffrey Cornish and Ron Witt. Um, and and the, the fact that those two guys were the authors probably played a role later in, in who we interviewed. So about 1992, Bob Cup had designed uh, Council Fire here in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. So we interviewed Bob Cup. I remember that very clearly. We read The Anatomy of a Golf Course by Tom Doak, mm-hmm. and I just thought that was the greatest book I ever read about golf course architecture. And we had Tom Doak down um, and played Lookout with him. And probably through Jeff Cornish, I probably called Jeff Cornish, who by that time was probably retired. And that's how we met Brian Silva. Um, and so after we met and talked with everybody, we thought that because we had such a – Brian was so passionate and Tom Doak was not passionate. He had kind of an engineer's personality, I would say. Um, and so, you know, although we really – we, we thought we had to have somebody with a great deal of passion to convince the members at Lookout, and we were going to have to do it in a big full meeting. So we selected uh, Brian Silver for that task. Yeah. And I don't know at that time if Brian had uh, – I'm sure he had done renovations, but one of the – I remember going up to view his work to see what he had done on other courses and we and he directed us to a course called Shaker Hills that was supposed to be the best public course in Massachusetts and we played it first and I I was not overwhelmed I'll say with Shaker Hills it was okay uh, and then we went to play Cape Cod National and Waverly Oaks and they were they were vastly different than Shaker Hills, and very they they made a big impression on me. And 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 those two courses, I thought, showed showed me that he could do a rainer of restoration. And of course, we interviewed Brian and talked to him, and and I, he convinced me too. Yeah. And so we convinced the membership to to do the the first the original long range plan, knowing that it wasn't going to be complete. I think we did that in 96 and 97. I think my trip to Scotland was in 95. And there's so, there's so much there that I'm interested in. I mean, let's go back to the travels of, uh, talk about a gig. You and you and King start the Rainer committee and you guys task yourself with going to play all the great Seth Rainer golf courses across the country. Um, I, I got a, a quote 
it's it's a it was hard to find info on, but I did find one quote from your Rainer report, and I love it. It's uh, we have the spine tingly privilege to play golf on. A, this is to the membership of uh, Lookout Mountain. You said we have the spine tingling privilege to play golf on a masterwork of golf, but the reality is we have an unfinished masterpiece. That's right. King 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 was a great writer, and I I'm a English major and a writer and and. You know, he probably deserves more credit than I do for what we've produced, but that was a collaboration. And, and uh, my, uh, the Rembrandt in an attic, we found a Rembrandt in our attic idea was, uh, I remember having that thought when I went up in my mother's attic one day and was looking around at stuff. And I thought, you know, with this, the whole thing with Lookout Mountains, like finding a Rembrandt in your attic. And, it, and we haven't, you know, it Lookout, they hadn't had enough money to screw the thing up. They hadn't been willing to spend any money to screw it up. Um, and they actually didn't have enough money to build it the first time they built it. And supposedly it was the most expensive course built in the United States, except for Yale. Also a Seth Rainer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yale, Yale, we went, Yale was one of the first ones we went to see on the same trip with the National Golf Links. And King and I played in the Anderson Cup at Wingfoot. And so we we tied all those trips together. Uh, and Gary Chazen came with us uh, on some of those trips. We definitely had our picture with the statue of Charles Blair McDonald at, in the National Golf Links. Uh, and that, that picture was in the Rainer Report with Gary and King and I and CB. That was Doug Stein, founder and president at Black Creek Club in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tune in for part two with Doug, where he shares his thoughts on the new age of golf media, the resurgence of classic design, and his personal adventures compiling the Rainer Report for Lookout Mountain Golf Club and what it took to build a place like Black Creek. Hey guys, one final note before you go. We just wanted to say thanks to you, our community and membership in New Club. We started Golf Society as a way to connect great people to great golf. We started the backdrop with that same premise in mind, sharing stories and experiences of the people we are so fortunate to meet in this game. So if you have ideas or questions for us or want to know more about membership with New Club, shoot us an email. It's membership at newclub.golf or visit our website at newclub.golf. Thanks again for listening and remember to always enjoy your game.